You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. All right, everybody, welcome back to Discovering Multifamily. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. I hope everybody was doing well. And we have a very special guest with us here today, a good friend of mine, Chris Fiducia. And he is a a commercial real estate, actually commercial insurance specialist, but um, has a heavy focus on real estate um, at James A. O'Connor's. And uh, is based in New Jersey and has a a lot of experience um, in um, understanding what your coverages actually mean um, from many different standpoints. And um, the more I've been in this business, the more people uh, that I'm associated with just look at the underlying costs of the policy, but don't really understand, um, you know, what's driving those costs. And, um, you know, if, if you're paying a little bit higher premium, am I get, actually getting better coverage? So we kind of want to go back to the basics here a little bit, because I feel like this is a topic, um, at least for most real estate investors, overlook. And I've been, you know, guilty of that myself. So um, want to Thank Chris for coming on the show and uh, we look forward to having this discussion. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Anthony. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Um, so, so, I mean, don't, don't feel bad that uh, you were um, one to kind of not really take the uh, look into the policies the way some people should. Um, it's, it's very common, especially, um, especially when people first start off, they don't really um, think about coverages or how to understand it. Um, uh, basically most of the time they're either in a rush to get insurance in place so that they can close. And, um, and I've, I've had to deal a lot with that and it's not ideal, an ideal position to be in, especially when purchasing. So, um, it's best to kind of look into this stuff early on and get a good understanding of, of what kind of coverages you need, especially for the property that you're purchasing. Um, uh, to start off with, and, and as you said, some people do focus just specifically on the price, um, but we really want to dive into the policy itself. Um, first and foremost, the uh, coverage for property, right? So. Um, what you want to do is you want to protect the actual structure itself. You want to make sure that you're going to have sufficient coverage if uh, you sustain a fire, um, some kind of storm comes through, destroys the building, um, any number of things. And I can provide a whole list of that if, if anybody's ever interested in that. And uh, typically what happens is people might underestimate the uh, replacement cost. A lot of times I see people saying, well, uh, the building's not worth that much. That's not how much I bought it for. That's understandable. Um, That's typically a uh, market value that you're you're comparing to. But what we want to look at is the replacement cost. We want to get a good understanding of how much it would be to replace the building if it came down all the way down to the ground. Um, More often than not, people are hesitant to want to come up with that estimate because in their mind it's well if i have a fire the whole building might not come down but even if you sustain figure 75 to 80 percent damages at that point you might just knock the whole thing down 
then you need to factor in the cost of debris removal. Remove everything and then build it back to the way it was. And the way insurance companies estimate it is not so much how much it's going to cost you to rebuild it, because a lot of people who invest in, in properties, they might be builders and they may be able to build the stuff and fix it themselves for a lot less. The insurance companies look in to see how much it would cost for them to hire another contractor to come in, material, labor costs, uh, and as I said before, debris removal. And that's how you get the full replacement cost of the building. And uh, typically that's um, estimated based off of the square footage of the building. Um, are there any questions so far? Yeah, yeah. So um, kind of kind of going back to that, um, what are the specific drivers of the premium? Now you talk about replacement costs being the number one driver. What are some of the other factors in, in the premium? Great question. Um, another factor could be the liability. Um, there's always liability coverage as well in your policy. And you want to make sure you have sufficient liability coverage as well. So the liability could be um, depending on the type of risk that it is. If it's just a uh, simple residential location, um, you know, the risk might just be uh, the tenants who are walking in the parking lot might slip and fall. Wintertime, of course, you have to factor in ice. Um, those, those tend to be kind of high. Uh, and then there's, if it's a commercial use property, then you have a lot of customers coming in. So you have a lot more foot traffic coming through. So that factor might be a little higher. There might be a higher risk there. Um, and liability figure, uh, the typical liability limit you might see in a policy is 1 million, uh, 1 million per occurrence and uh, 2 million aggregate. 2 million aggregate being the most that the policy will pay out in one policy year. Uh, what I like to tell my clients is um, the best way to gauge whether or not you have enough liability limit is to kind of factor in what the, um, uh, the total cost would be if you had to, let's say, figure sell the building, right? Um, what the market value is. And what you're essentially doing with a liability policy is you're protecting the assets of the business. So you're protect, protecting the full assets of that property. So if you think your building might be able to sell for 2.5 million, I would say estimate um, to the nearest uh, million up. So 2.5 million have at least 3 million uh, per occurrence. This way you don't have to worry about anybody coming after your assets or suing you to take over any part of the building or whatever it might be, you know? Right, and, and what are some of the areas you see real estate owners not understand or sort of under undercover on you sort of you talk about liability and I know there's very many layers to liability including you know umbrella on top of their general liability can you kind of talk about you know that in greater detail and why that's important yeah yeah so um more often than not we typically see um people underestimating the the building value and and again it goes back to what i said before they they feel that um uh, the building's not worth that much so it shouldn't be covered for that much um and and that could pose a problem especially because some of the insurance companies they don't want to 
insure the building unless it's insured to value. Um, or they'll put a stipulation on the policy. So there's a difference between replacement cost and actual cash value. So replacement cost would be what it would cost to replace the building at the time of the loss or the part of the building that was damaged. Actual cash value is more along the lines of um, uh, a depreciated amount. So uh, a lot of you may be familiar with a deductible. Let's say you have a $1,000 deductible and um, you sustain about $100,000 of damage on your building. Um, then the insurance company is expected to pay um, everything, min the $100,000 minus the $1,000 deductible. In a situation of actual cash value, that may not be the case. Um, there might be another estimated amount that they'll come up with and then uh, you'll be surprised to find out that you have to fork up five to $10,000 out of your own pocket and then the insurance company covers the rest. So um, a lot of people will try to pinch pennies and, and get the premium down by not having the right amount of coverage. And in the end, if something does happen, then it's not worth it because you may have saved maybe a couple hundred bucks a year but then when you find yourself paying 10,000 out of pocket, it's going to hurt. Yeah. And what, what advice would you have for real estate owners? Let's say they're buying top of the line, class A, high rise, multifamily and Hoboken or wherever it is, you know, in a very dense location that's newer construction. Do you suggest for them to, um, you know, take a lower uh, deductible because the risk is much actually take a higher deductible because the risk is, the risk is much lower for, you know, um, things to happen or does age not really matter? Because like you said, a fire could happen. Um, there could be loss of income through certain circumstances. Does, does age matter when you're writing a policy and how you look at the premiums and deductibles? Um, age could matter um, in factoring in the premiums um, because, uh, if if it's an if it's a much older building, uh, it might be a lot harder to uh, replace that type of material. Um, as as time goes on, uh, I think everybody could agree that a lot of material has gotten cheaper and cheaper um, with with the way they build. Um, I think the the biggest thing was in the in the before the 1940s or 1930s, they were using four by fours, whereas now they everything is two by fours, right? So that's a, that's a difference to, to factor in. Um, age of building. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question again? Yeah, no. So the age of the building does, from a real estate owner's perspective, you know, if, like if I was looking at a high-rise Class A product, you know, and I wanted my deductible to be 15, 20,000, 50,000, right. the highest it could be, do you think that's less risk for the owner? Whereas on my older building, I want, you know, maybe my deductible to be a little lower because I know that my cost out of pocket when things do happen are going to be substantially higher. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's a great point. The, uh, the deductible um, that's, that's a method of looking into whether or not you want to be able to save a little bit on, on premiums as well, because if, if you have, let's say, 
a 10 or $15 million building that you need to insure. Um, at that point, you might want to look into having a little bit of a higher deductible instead of 1000, maybe bump it up to 5000. Um, and that's a good alternative to, uh, to saving money as opposed to reducing the coverage. One of the things that I try to tell my clients, don't reduce the coverage. If you think it makes sense to increase the deductible, you might get some cost savings there. Uh, but I would also highly advise that you have some sort of reserve account in case something goes wrong where it could cover that deductible. Um, I see this a lot in uh, condo associations, actually. Um, you mentioned high rises, so condo associations, it could happen. Um, you might have a, a $50 million building and then maybe we want to take a look at having a 10, 20, or maybe even a $50,000 deductible. It helps bring the cost down and then built into the bylaws of the condo association. You might have something in there stating that if there is a loss, all the unit owners will be assessed that loss. And that's okay because you know what? Um, in the unit owners policies, they'll have a specific coverage in there for uh, loss assessment. So if the association assesses a loss on these unit owners uh, because of the damage, as long as it's a covered cause of loss, then everybody's policy will pay out and it could help offset the cost of that deductible. That makes a lot of sense. And, and getting back to the main driver of the premium, the replacement cost a little bit, who comes up with that value? So is, is it an independent appraiser that works for the insurance company? Who, how, do, how do they come up with it? And is that the only method for replacement costs? Or is, you know, because there's insurable value too. Is replacement costs always equal to insurable value? How do, how do those two correlate? Uh, that's a great that's a great question. It's, it's always been a little difficult to answer that. Um, every company has a different insurable value. Um, and a lot of companies may use a third party assessor to go out there and do an inspection. And then they come back with their report on what they believe the replacement cost is. On average, I would say everybody comes within a, a similar uh, frame of, of cost. So um, for example, I would say when, when, whenever I'm trying to run a quote, I get the square footage of the building. I get an idea of what the build is like and the structure is like. And uh, let's say a frame building that's, um, uh, I don't know, a 10 unit apartment building. Uh, I go by um, $175 per square foot. That's on average what a lot of places use. A lot of assessors will use that. Um, and that's a good gauge for what the replacement cost value will be. Got it. And that's, and that's a value regardless of the, the age that 175. Um, no age, age will have a factor in it as well. Um, but, uh, that's why, you know, I, I stick with 175 because then they might come around and say more like 160 per square foot, or they might turn around and say that the, um, if it's been updated recently and it's um, a higher grade build, you have nicer bathrooms, nicer kitchens, maybe some granite countertops, uh, then you're looking more into the 200 to 210 a square foot. 
Got it. And so when you're working with your clients that, you know, have these appraisal appraisals done independently and, you know, they're not happy with it or, you know, there's a disconnect that they see. Have you seen a case where there's two appraisals being done or maybe even three appraisals? Because like you said, it might not even be worth it because usually they're within a 10, 10% difference on, on average anyway. Is that, is that how you, you operate if, if, if that is the case? I've seen some companies come back and say, if you don't agree with the values, then put it in writing and maybe ha- hire somebody else to, to do this to come up with a better value. But at that point, like you said, the difference could be negligible and it's not really uh, something that somebody's willing to invest. Um, if it's a significant difference, then it might be worth investing and going down that road. However, I've not experienced that yet. Um, most of my clients would turn around and just say, okay, you know what? It doesn't sound like it's going to be much. And they just go with what the insurance company comes up with. Got it. And uh, another follow-up question would be um, when you're underwriting a new policy on a property that needs a lot of work and the work may have to do with the roof and may have to do with electric and may have to do with plumbing. Are there certain things that insurance company will look for that they will absolutely not write a policy on or is it on a case by case basis? Uh, Anything uniform. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certain things that they look for. They want to make sure that there's at least some sort of sound build, right? So, um, you know, the place is not falling apart. It's, it wouldn't be deemed completely inhabitable. Um, the, they want to make sure that the risk is low, even, even on the outside, right? Figure if there's a lot of trip hazards outside, they might turn around and, and be inclined to uh, come off of the policy. Um, and in situations like that, there's special policies we need to put into place until all that stuff is fixed, recovered. Um, Currently, during this pandemic, a lot of companies are, um, they're giving more time and they're waiving a lot of these inspections. Um, But it's all in good faith. They're hoping that everybody is kind of staying on top of it and fixing it as best as they could. There's a great understanding that not everybody is able to uh, function to the fullest of their ability right now. Um, but if there's significant damage to, let's say a unit, they might turn around and say, you know, you need a a different policy for this. Or another issue you might run into is if, uh, about 50% of the building is vacant because it needs to be fixed or repaired, then they're going to come off and say, you need to get yourself, um, a partially vacant policy and then purchase a builder's risk policy. Builder's risk is a policy that will cover you for uh, the time that you're, you're building out or you're making the repairs. It covers for in case of a fire and you lose all your material that may be stored in the unit or any theft because now that the place is vacant, who's there to watch it? Who's there to keep people out of it? You know, you, you get people that are kind of breaking into places that they know construction is going on and they end up stealing a lot of the equipment for themselves or the material. So that's uh, that's a special policy to get in place as well. Makes sense. Um, and last question that I do have, um, and you mentioned the pandemic, 
Um, what sort of items on existing policies should real estate owners be looking at right now um, as it relates to any loss of income from the pandemic? You know, personally, I haven't seen it yet, but I know some owners have seen it. So any advice for them? Okay, great question. So um, a lot of times what you'll see on a policy is endorsements and exclusions. So insurance is never really black and white. There's a lot of fine print um, and a lot of this stuff is put together by attorneys. So you could just imagine what the writing is like and, and trying to read and interpret all that. Um, however, a lot of it is left for interpretation. So one of the biggest problems that a lot of business owners are finding when they go to put in claims during this pandemic is uh, that they don't have the proper covered cause of loss in their policy. And the policy may specifically say um, any virus, bacteria, or communicable disease is excluded. Um, what I'm finding is a lot of our clients at our agency are putting in claims saying that the loss is not due to the virus. The loss is due to executive order. The state mandated that they shut down. So they have to um, uh, close the doors, lose income. And now they're trying to put in these claims. Uh, some of the responses we've seen is that the companies are coming back saying, yeah, but it's indirectly related to the virus. So if you haven't had an issue with the virus, um, and you don't have the exclusion, then they could turn around and say, it's not a direct cause of loss because of the virus. So companies right now are finding ways to not pay these claims, but they're, they're fighting. But my suggestion is to look into the fine details of the policy in those endorsements and exclusions to see if you have a virus exclusion, um, pandemic exclusion, something that specifically says it. Um, Otherwise, what I would do is make sure that the policy you get is broad enough to not have those exclusions there. And it kind of opens up the window so that it could be interpreted by a judge stating whether or not you could actually collect on the loss of income. Um, in situations of uh, like this pandemic with real estate, you have uh, a loss of income from rent. Uh, a lot of these businesses have to shut their doors. Now you're going to lose a lot of clients. Uh, you're going to lose a lot of tenants. And even in the, um, uh, the habitational unit, you're going to have a lot of uh, tenants that may not be able to afford to pay their rent. So what are you going to do then? That's probably a good talking point to take a look at your policy and see if those exclusions are there. Wow. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense and definitely very up to date. So uh, definitely listen to that, that last piece of advice from Chris. Uh, well, Chris, uh, thanks so much again for coming on the show. How can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Uh, they could reach me on my LinkedIn. Um, my LinkedIn is uh, you have all my contact information there. Um, they could also reach me by email if they want. And that's cfiducia at jamesaconnors.com. So C Fiducia, C F I D U C C I A at James A Connors.com. Um, Great. And, and I'll be posting uh, in the comments section, I'll be posting a link to the email and Chris's LinkedIn. A anywhere else they can find you? 
they should be able to find me on the website as well of James A. Connors at jamesaconnors.com. Awesome. Well, we'll be posting both, uh, all three of those things. Uh, thanks again, Chris, for coming on. Definitely up-to-date information. And, and I always like going back to basics. And hopefully that was kind of a refresher for uh, my listeners as well. So definitely appreciate you coming on again. Hope to have you again soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope to come on again soon too. Awesome.